0: Welcome to this week's edition of Everything Fast Pitch, sponsored by Fast Pitch Prep. Coach Don and I are here in the Cherokee Batting Range Podcast Studio on a beautiful Friday morning, getting ready to record episode number 160. We've got a really good show lined up for you this week and our warm-up topic, and we've got our City of the Week, Player of the Week, Equipment Tip of the Week, another Did You Know?, a Pretty Good Listener's Question, and Paige's Power Play. Our leadoff topic, we're going to talk about some news on the recruiting front with some things that have changed and also just a little NCAA news that kind of goes along with the NCAA tournament being on the horizon. And on our cleanup topic, we're going to talk about uh, some headlines and basically just the uh, realization that I've come to that college softball is pretty amazing this year and some of the reasons why I think that might be true, but just the fact that uh, the game is being played at a really high level and some examples of that. And then, our coaching tip of the week, we're going to talk about specialty defenses to uh, handle slappers and some things that we're seeing and things that we like and things that we don't like. So, as we start episode number 160, first off, let's talk about our sponsors Anderson Bat Company. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to have Anderson Bat Company as our presenting sponsor. Anderson Bat Company is using the latest and greatest bat technology to corner the market in the fast pitch world. They have the minus nine rocket tech, the minus 10 carbon save a little bit of money on a great bat, and also help support Everything Fast Pitch at the same time. And Don, let's talk about Patreon. Uh, We're very, very fortunate. We've got some patrons that are supporting us and and doing a great job. We really do appreciate their support. If you're in a position where you can help us financially, you can go to patreon.com slash Pitch. There's three different levels of support. Um, Coach Don and I have been doing uh, Everything Fast Pitch and Coach Prep now for quite a while, and uh, we've just gotten to the point where trying to keep the wheels turning and program going forward that uh, the financial help of our patrons is something that's uh, making it possible. Um, there's uh, expenses and things that we've incurred and that we continue to incur with uh, fees and equipment and things like that. We love doing it, but the fact that our patrons are helping us is, is really keeping this thing moving. And if you're in a position where you could become a patron, if you can help support us, we would really appreciate it. So again, go to patreon.com slash fast So, don our warm-up topic. First off, let's talk about our city of the week. We've been talking about in the past quite a bit that we uh, have uh, increased our reach drastically. Uh, We are in all 50 states. We have listeners in all 50 states, and we have uh, several international listeners. Well, this week's city of the week is Sydney, New South Wales, in Australia. That's fantastic. One of the things that technology is allowing us to do, obviously, if this was just a good old-fashioned radio show, and we'd have our 50, 60, 80-mile radius and and uh, hope that uh, people would uh, be able to enjoy it. But with the uh, technology now, with podcasts being uh, something that's available worldwide, it's just a pretty cool thing to know that we've got people that far away listening to us on a regular basis and to see the numbers jump up uh, the way they did this last week. Kind of heartwarming, kind of makes me feel good to know that we're uh, reaching that many different people.
1: No, it's super exciting, Tori, and they've got great fast pitch. And Australia, too. Yeah, right? And I think
0: so, uh, yeah, now with the Olympics, not too far away, what is it, about 100 days away from the Olympics, it's an amazing thing to know that we're going to have, you know, Australia, United States, Japan, you know, all these countries competing against each other and playing the game uh, at, on that Olympic uh, stage. Australia has always been a hotbed. A, yeah. a lot of Australian players have come to the United States to play, and it's just an exciting thing.
1: Like you say, in 100 days, we got some more exciting uh, fast-pitch really news. exciting yeah. softball on the horizon. So, Don, our player of the week this week
0: is Amaya Walker. Amaya plays for the 07 Texas Glory Denison team. She's their shortstop, had a really good season, strong player, and uh, very recently helped her team uh, have a, a really successful tournament, more so with her defense than, uh, than anything else. Uh, just made some outstanding plays, did a great job uh, at that shortstop position. And so uh, we really do appreciate uh, the nomination and want to say congratulations to Amaya for being the uh, Fast Pitch Prep Player of the Week. Great job, Amaya. Yeah. Please, for all our listeners, if you have players that you would like to recognize for their success on the field or things that they're doing in the community, things they're doing in the classroom, we would love to hear about them. You can reach out to us at fastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. Either one of those email addresses will work, but send us a few of the particulars, a little bit of uh, the backstory of why you would like us to recognize that player, and we would be happy to
1: recognize them also. All right, down our equipment tip of the week, Square Cuts Training Discs. Yeah, still working with them, Tori, and they're, uh, again, been a great product that we're excited to share with everybody. It gives you good feedback each time you strike one of them. If you hit it squarely, like the name, it's going to sail proper and give you that feedback. Again, very durable yet safe for all your high-end performance product bats, and. Just really excited to share them with everybody. I think that if you're into it, this is something that you need. You got to have some. yeah, when I think one of the things that uh, led us to
0: designing it and and uh, creating it was the idea that we know hitters and coaches need feedback, and the idea of hitting a softball and being able to get the same kind of feedback that you can get from the discs, it just uh, was clear that there was some gap between the two. you know when you hit a softball, it feels like you hit it really good. And you do, but you probably hit it like 80%, 75%. And, and so uh, because you've got the round ball, it's a little bit hard to tell if you're truly squaring that ball up. Whereas with the disc, when you hit it on that flat edge and you see it fly, you really can tell. And for a lot of hitters, it's been an eye-opening experience because they thought they were squaring the ball up really well. Now that they've been working with the discs for a while, they are improving their ability to square the ball up because they understand more about what that contact point should look like where the bat should really be when they hit the ball. And it's just been a really cool thing to see. So we're really proud to have our name attached to it and very proud to be selling them. So if you're interested in getting a dozen of the square cuts training discs, go to our fastpitchprep.com website. There's a ordering link right there. You just click on the button. It'll take you through the process. You can go ahead and pay for them and uh, we'll get them shipped to you ASAP get them uh, in your hands as quick as possible so that you can start to see some improvement for your hitters
1: too. Tori, we've got some promo codes for those, right?
0: Absolutely. We, yeah, so we need,
1: you, we need our patrons,
0: yeah. right? So we have two different uh, discounts available. If you're a patron, so if you go to the patreon.com slash pitch site and become a patron, you can get a 40% discount on the discs, and we'll send you that discount uh, code once you go ahead and sign up as a patron. But for all our regular listeners, we have a 10% discount for uh, for all of you, Uh, You enter the promo code ILISTEN21, and that's going to get you a 10% discount. So let's also talk about Anderson Bats. Um, AndersonBat.com. If you go to the AndersonBat.com website and order a bat from them directly, we have a special discount for you there also. In our promo at the beginning, we talk about uh, how excited we are to be working with the folks at Anderson. But if you go to the uh, website and you place an order, they will ship it directly to you. And if you go to the discount code, and enter EFP20, that will get you a 20% discount. It's a substantial savings. It's going to save you a big chunk of money uh, on a bat that's already, in my opinion, very affordable for what you're getting. I believe 100% in the Anderson bats. The Rocket Tech minus nine that uh, I have put in the hands of a few of my best hitters is paying tremendous dividends. We're seeing the ball jumping off the bat. You know, We've done the uh, exit velocity testing with our kids in the cages. And the exit velocity, once they get used to it and have swung it a few times, is outperforming everything else, including the bat that shall remain nameless that breaks <laughs> every other week and has to keep right. getting sent back that so many hitters like. Now, it's a, a little bit of a different feel. It's a little bit of a different sound, but the performance is, is undeniable. And if you, uh, uh, you want to get the best bat you can, check out andersonbat.com. EFP20 is the discount code. It saves you some money, and it also helps support everything fast pitch.
1: Nice. No, Tori, we've been uh, using a lot of those products here as uh, demos for the kids. And it's kind of funny to to watch the look in their eye after they hit a couple of them. They'll turn back and look at mom and dad and kind of give them a nod and a little smile. And it's been really well received. They're durable. And, you know, we have had zero trouble in regards to uh, their durability and, right. and their performance, like you said, Tori, is been super. Yeah, and they have uh, baseball and softball bats. Um, you, you can, uh,
0: get whatever you want for whatever kid is looking for a bat. Um, and, and you can use that same discount. If you order a slow pitch bat, because you want to be the church league superstar, yeah. you can still get the same discount. Absolutely. And so, uh, it's a pretty sweet deal. And the other thing that we talked about a little bit that I wanted us to make sure that we really drive the point home is one of the things, especially with the minus nine, um, it's a really good cold weather bat. You know, sure. The, the alloy material is much more forgiving in in cold weather. I know I heard from a listener a little bit ago who coaches in Minnesota, and all his kids have moved over to the Anderson partly because they love the performance, but partly because they know they can use the same bat on a day that's 35 degrees that they can use on a day that's 75 degrees and have the same performance either way. So
1: I would really encourage everybody to be a trendsetter with their group. Right? It's kind of kind of cool to have something new and. You've heard it from us that it's going to perform well, and you'll be excited about it once you get it. But uh, be a trendsetter. If You're you going to love it Get that. it going. So go to
0: AndersonBat.com. Remember, EFP20. All right. So, Don, did you know? Did you know it seems like that uh, every once in a while we have a pretty good idea? Right. <laughs> and we've been doing this records that shall not be broken and records that are unattainable thing for a couple of months now, probably at least uh, 10 or 12 episodes, because I just think it's a really fun thing to kind of take that walk down memory lane Well, lo and behold, this week, the NCAA released a uh, post uh, on their social media talking about the nine records that they think will never be broken. A couple of them that we've already talked about. Right. One that I had chosen for today's topic already. And a couple more that kind of made me think, so I'm going to steal theirs on down the road at some so point So we're going in time. to share back and forth now. Yeah, you yeah. can call it sharing. I'll call <laughs> it stealing. I'm not sure uh, which one is really correct. <laughs> right. um, borrowing a good idea? Bur- yeah, borrowing a good idea. And you know, one of the things I've been kind of pondering on, not too long ago, we posted something on social media. Somebody contacted me and, and was a little bit frustrated because uh, they felt that uh, the idea that I wrote in a blog was very similar to something that they had written. You know, I had to admit, I said you know to be honest with you, i I read so much stuff and That's I have tough. so much stuff you know buzzing yeah. around in my head, you know that I certainly don't didn't mean to steal anybody else's thunder. But I know that uh, you know we see stuff that we write or talk about uh, shows up in other places too. You
1: know? Well, Tori, you've had like six hundred. Blo- I mean, there's so many blogs that yeah. It, while, impossible to uh, not have it, something close. It, it, it's, it's it's hard to uh, even remember what
0: what the thought process was. Yeah, and it could be just as simple as I did read theirs and it was like fresh in my mind and I you know wrote one you know to to put in the pipeline for our for our website. But so anyway, that's kind of a little sidebar. That uh, you know, certainly I, you know, I'm I'm happy when people um, share what we do. If somebody uh, uses one of our ideas, I know a, a while back we had posted something on social media, and then two or three days later, I saw somebody else posted something very very similar with the exact same picture we used in our post. I thought of that more as a. Um, a little bit of a pat on the back a little a baby that hey we must have done something good that somebody else wanted to continue the discussion
1: well and absolutely tori and our whole our whole journey is about helping everybody with their fast pit endeavors right, right. so any way we can share it or or uh, you know use it to get a good message out i think it's great yeah so did you
0: know, another D- Division I record that I think will never be broken, uh, Sarah Graziano played at Coastal Carolina back in the 1990s. I was
1: going to say, I know that name. You know that name because
0: yeah. Sarah did some camps with us once upon a time. Yeah. Sarah holds the record for the consecutive game hitting streak, 43 games. Wow. So when you think about going to the ballpark, 43 games in a row, coming through with a hit, not having an offer, not having a day where you get walked twice, sack bunt once and you have one at bat where you hit a screaming line drive at the shortstop and you end up 0 for 1 right to not have one of those days for 43 straight days is pretty impressive and she played for our good friend Jess Stanley yep. right a great great player you know from a from an era a little while ago, but one of the things that uh, a lot of the records that we talk about, I think, are going to be unbroken because of the number of games or the number of opportunities that players had earlier in the softball history. But this is one—you know—certainly everybody plays at least forty-three games a year, right? So the number is possible. Just the ability to do it, the feat of doing it, I think, is shaky. So we'll see if somebody can can. That'll uh, be, be a tough tele-sport. one. That That's that'll awesome. be a fun one to follow. Yeah. So Don, our listener question this week comes to us from Steve. And Steve's question is his players want to start using walk-up songs. He's never done it before and he doesn't really know how to handle it. Wants some suggestions or ideas so the
1: idea of walk-up songs. Well, I I hear people talking about them and how they change their walk-up song and how it's gone from a, an old 80s, you know, family parent favorite to something current and modern and I don't know. I I I'm a little bit perplexed on this i don't think i don't really like it i think it's exciting maybe for the kids for a period of time but to manage it and to keep it uh keep it all reasonable i mean it's entertaining maybe i don't know it's one of those things i think that it's gaining momentum for a lot of
0: different reasons one is the technology again now you you have these small portable stereo systems boom boxes and things that you know look as big as a, a yeti Cup that <laughs> right. uh, you know crank out the sound loud enough that you can hear it from a hundred yards away, and so you've got the ability to have that uh, in almost any setting. Now I've gone in many different directions with this over the course of my coaching career. When we first started doing it at the college level, first resisted it because I thought it was a distraction, and then I gave in a little bit because I thought it was fun, and then I enjoyed it because I thought it added a little bit of excitement and specialness I guess to the games but then we kind of crossed a line now where uh, when I go to a ballpark for a travel ball tournament and it's almost like you have the battling boom boxes competing going on, yeah, yeah where you might have four fields all pretty close together and especially with the younger ages you know the you know the 10 and under 12 and under kids you see a lot of teams have the the system set up so that the kids each have their their little walk-up song yeah, I think it can be a little bit overwhelming at times when you've got four games, five games all going on pretty close proximity to each other. And unfortunately, Steve didn't tell us if it was for a school ball setting or a travel ball setting. Sure. My guess is travel ball. If it's something that his kids really want to do and he thinks it's, it's not going to be a distraction, it's something that they can do and still keep their focus on what's going on on the field, I don't see any harm in it. But here's my one absolute. We've got to go through and listen to the songs that the kids are choosing to make sure that it's acceptable for everybody to listen. The rule I had when I was coaching at Tennessee Tech was it had to be something that I could play for my grandmother and my grandmother wouldn't be offended by it. Sure, I think that's reasonable and wise. The moral to the story was that I would always tell you know the, the team that before uh, each season started, at least 48 hours before the first game, I had to have the playlist, I had to have the, the list clip. of all the songs, so that I could listen to them all to make sure that they passed my quote-unquote Tory's grandmother clause. And it would be invariable that um, every single year there'd be one or two or three or four get that bumped. would get thrown off the list. Yeah. And uh, and players would be so offended by it because, well, that's what I listen to. That's what gets me pumped up. I really like that. You know, it really gets me fired <laughs> up to play. Right. But I would have to, you know, tell them, okay, you know, if if my grandmother's at the game or my seven-year-old child's at the game, there's words in these songs or say sayings or statements in these songs that I don't want to have to either explain. explain to my seven-year-old or apologize to my to my grandmother for because they think they're offensive and whether you know an 18-year-old 19-year-old kid thinks they're offensive or not is really not the point what we have to be thinking about is the the crowd in general and who's all going to be at these games listening to these things so that would be the first argument like well but you know but that's what really fires me up so then i'd get the list back and it would have the radio version of the same, the same song yeah well then we would have the argument well but they beep out all you, the you can fill that in yeah can't they, you? they beep out all yeah. the words that are supposed to be offensive well you know, there's certain cuss words, there's certain things that if you bleep out part of the word, I still know what the word is. It doesn't matter. So then we'd have to argue about that whole thing about, well, you know, they're, they're bleeping out the word, so it should be okay. Well, if the first part of that or the second part of that or the third part of that statement is still there, my mind fills in the blanks and it's still offensive to me. And so we would go around and around, and eventually they would be like, "Well, I guess I'll settle for this boring song that doesn't pump me up, that I don't even like, because you're gonna make me pick something I don't even like because it's not, you know, it's not gonna pass your rules."
1: I said, "Okay, that'd be fine." No, I know. Oh, you just got to go back to Ozzy Osbourne, Crazy Train, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. and and one Good of the funny Ch- things Chipper is, Jones. yeah, you know, that I always
0: thought was kind of funny about the whole thing is a lot of the music that ended up getting picked was music that I liked because it was of that era that it was loud and raucous and had a lot of stuff, a lot of energy before it was so cool to cuss and curse and denigrate and, right, and, and right. do all that stuff. And I understand from the kid's perspective, you know, that they're used to it, you know, it doesn't phase you know, them. seem to phase yeah. them, but there are certain things that you know, I just don't wanna to have to explain to a kid or I don't wanna to have to apologize to a grandmother for. And so, um, Steve, so that would be my only guideline is make sure you listen to it, make sure that you understand it. And unfortunately the thing that has, you know, kind of made me a little bit hesitant or skeptical is when we have the battle of the boom boxes going on out at the ballpark right now. Need some etiquette there. There's clearly teams that don't have the same rule. <clears throat> Yeah, because I'm hearing that stuff on other teams' pump-up playlists, right. and that's a little bit disappointing. Because then I'm still stuck with the explaining to my seven-year-old right. why they heard this word, you know, blaring, blaring from, from the speaker a, at the game, you know, two fields
1: over from us. Because of course, with the technology, you can hear it a quarter of a mile away. They don't have the same uh, mindset. Yeah, it's tough. But again, we can only control what we do. So right. So Steve, yeah. proceed with caution. And uh, just use a, you know, a little common sense,
0: you know, look at your sensibilities and what makes sense for you. And uh, if you want to let the kids have walk-up songs, just make sure that uh, you're not going to be mad about them or frustrated by them keep later it, on. Keep it fun. All right. So, Don, that's going to take us into this week's edition of Pages Power Play.
2: This one goes out to all of you that are super hard on yourself, always getting down on you. Own worst critic, you're always basing your success off of your results. This is for you. And if you want to start feeling more confident, if you want to like really empower yourself and feel good and believe in yourself when you're going out into your games, when you're competing, and all of those things, you have to celebrate the wins more. Just this concept of I feel like a lot of us athletes feel like there's only one way to succeed. And that's not true at all. There's lots of different ways to succeed. Actually going through failure tour is a way to get to success and succeeding. So there's lots of different ways to be successful. There's not just one way. There's not one, only one way to like one goal or one success. There's a lot of small things and little things and big things along the way to accomplish your goals and the things that you want and the results and the outcomes that you want which you know a lot of times means success to us so we have to celebrate the wins more what does that mean we need to figure out a better balance for ourselves because we're so hard on ourselves because you're so hard on yourself because when you don't live up to your expectations, you get, you get down on yourself or you feel like you let other people down or yourself down. So we need to balance out the good and the bad, the success and the failures. Okay. Um, so it's looking at okay what are the things that i'm doing really well like look at all the things that i've done to get to this point and really looking at your journey and where you were you know just a year ago or even three months ago just looking at how far you've come and noticing that it's all about getting some perspective and understanding like that you have done a lot you have put in a lot of work you have been consistent Yes. Are there things that you need to work on and improve on? There will always be things to work on and improve on, but we have to find a better balance of the good and the bad, the successes and the failures. And um, right now, it's probably a little bit lopsided. You're probably really focused on the things that you need to work on, improve on the negative things, and we need to kind of tip that scale to be more balanced. So. Um, some ways that we can do that and really focus on celebrating the wins, um, is I, what I like to work on with the girls in my, my program and the girls that I work on with one on one is video and we watch a lot of video our parents are recording us like all this stuff and a lot of times we're looking at like what are we doing wrong what do i need to work on what do i need to improve on and there's a lot of awesome technology especially with your lessons and your private instructors and things like that but rather than only looking at what you need to improve on or you know what you need to work on which you can, right? That's definitely a part of getting better and um, working towards and and practicing and those things. Definitely need that piece. But how often are you looking at when you do really well and you hit that home run and you make that shot or you get that stop, you make that winning drive to the basket, I don't know, whatever sport it might be, how often are you looking and watching those videos and getting like bringing back those really amazing feel good confident moments okay so that's one way that we can start to balance out like start watching some video of you like crushing it and doing well and feeling that confidence and also look at you know the things that you need to improve on and work on and use those things to your advantage so balance out some of that but um, a challenge that I want you guys to take on is I want you to write down 10 to 20 things. I put a wide variety because I know you. some of you guys are like, "What? to 20 things, 10 to 20 things that you did well in this last month. So just think about the last 30 days or so and think about 10 things that you are just like, you are doing it. You're being consistent, you're taking action, you're, you're, you're getting the work done, you're doing things well. You're probably doing way more than 10 to 20 things well, but you're not giving yourself credit for it. So that's my challenge to you is celebrate the little things celebrate the wins the things along the way to start to have a better balance of you being so hard on yourself like it's okay to be hard on yourself that's what makes you a great athlete but let's find a better balance here so that's the challenge i want you to write down 10 to 20 things you did well in the last 30 days you can share some of those things with me on here if you're struggling to get through that send me a message let's talk about it let's work on it um i bet you i could figure out some things for you if we brainstormed together. This is the kind of work that we do in the Confident Athlete program. It is my signature program. I am so excited because in the summer, this summer of 2021, I'm reopening the doors for the Confident Athlete and it's gonna be like next level 2.0 version. I'm working really hard over here to get things all ready and set up. It's gonna be amazing. There's gonna be new things, more exercises, worksheets, accountability. Oh, I'm just like, I'm so pumped about it, so. If you are interested in working on the mental side of your game, if you're interested in having more balance, not being so hard on yourself all of the time, then The Confident Athlete would be an amazing place for you. So get on the waitlist. There's going to be surprises, bonuses, things along the way until the doors are open. You're going to have first dibs at it if you're on the waitlist. So make sure you get on there. It's on my website, www.pagetons.com, and if you click on The Confident Athlete, it'll bring you to the Wait list, and you can get yourself on there. So, see you there. I can't wait to hear how this challenge goes. Remember, challenge: write down ten to twenty things that you did well this month. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye.
0: All right, pagetons.com. Make sure you check it out. I know she's uh, registering kids now for her next Confident Athletes section. Um, It's a great program. Another coaching friend of mine, uh, his daughter just completed the program and has been raving about what it's done for her. You know, what she's learned about the mental game, what she's learned about herself, what she's learned about becoming more confident in everything that she's doing. You know, he, he believes it's going to certainly help her as a softball player, but he thinks it's going to pay off for her as a student and, and in all different aspects of her life. So check it out, page right, Don, so our leadoff topic is sponsored by Elite Sporting Goods. Elite Sporting Goods is located at 905 Grayson Highway in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Phone number there is Zero two seven zero. You can also contact them at elitesportsorders at yahoo.com. If you contact the folks at Elite, they can hook you up with whatever you need, and they are shipping stuff all over the country. Uh, so if you need bats, balls, equipment, uh, spirit wear, whatever you need, uniforms, reach out to the folks at Elite and they will take care of you. So, Don, our topic this week, let's talk about a little bit of NCAA stuff. Um, both, the, really, both the topics, main topics today are going to be all about college softball. But uh, the big news, uh, that we wanted to lead off with is that the NCAA Division One dead period is going to end on June 1st, which means starting June 1st, the college coaches will be able to be back out on the road recruiting. They'll be able to be hosting camps and clinics and things like that on their campus. They'll be attending tournaments all over the country. And so uh, welcome back to a little bit of uh, reality, a little bit of normalcy um, after the year plus of
1: uh, quarantines and shutdowns and everything else. Tori, that's going to be so exciting because that was – one element of these big tournaments that, uh, was really appealing to everybody. You know, that was something everyone looked forward to that tournament that they knew, you know, some of the schools that they were excited about as potential, uh, opportunities, you know, when that all went away, that was really tough.
0: Yep. And one of the things that, you know, like when you think about Colorado and some of these big giant events, yeah. you know, thousands of teams go to Colorado around the 4th of July to be seen by hundreds of college coaches. And, um, the fun of the, the those events, a lot of it was driven by the fact that uh, there was just sort of this uh, sense of excitement and, uh, and anticipation, yeah. you know, the the thrill of knowing that you're going to be playing, you know, some high-level softball in front of uh, coaches that might be deciding whether they wanted to recruit you or not. Now, there's a couple of caveats to it. So, the NCAA is going to revert back to all the regular recruiting calendars. So, you know, for softball, there are still a couple of dead periods during the regular recruiting calendar around the signing periods and things like that. There's still some, you know, quiet and dead period times during the regular calendar, but they'll be going back to the calendar we had before COVID. And so I think that's really really exciting. But the um, special asterisk to the whole thing is that uh, all the schools are still bound by whatever their school regulations and guidelines are, and certainly their state, city, wherever they're located. And so, just before you decide to send your money in for a big camp or whatever, uh, make sure that uh, where you're going and and the the school that you're going to be uh, visiting or whatever it is, um, that you're going to be able to do the things that you want to do when you get there. You know, we have seen still in certain parts of the country that we still have much tighter restrictions, much more uh, limited options for people to get out and do things reality of it is that even though the calendar is going to return and the recruiting is going to open back up, the dead period is going to end, still doesn't mean that it's going to be back to
1: 100% Normal. what it was like before uh, coronavirus and before the COVID-19 shutdowns. I think that's great advice, Tori. I know, uh, like you said, every school is going to act and ease back into things differently, right? Right. So, But one of the things that's going to be
0: so exciting for all the players that are still looking to get recruited is they've been trying to figure out how to live stream and video and and do all those things to get in front of college coaches knowing that that was the only opportunity they had to make an impression. And so the good news now is that those college coaches are going to be able to get out on the road and, and come and see the kids play and that uh, the kids also are going to have that opportunity to go to some camps, get on campus, do some more uh,
1: traditional visits and things that are going to feel a whole lot more normal. No, it's going to be interesting to see how, uh, you know, how that all plays out it's been tough for them to really create their list of potential candidates as recruits, right? So it's going to be maybe a little bit of a mad dash, you think, or to get out there and really do their due diligence? Oh, yeah. No, I think it's going to be the wild, wild west. I think, you know, know, just like we were
0: all so excited when the kids got to start playing again, I think the coaches are going to be excited to get to start recruiting again. Yeah. Um, You know, and to actually be able to see the kids in person, to be able to, you know, mingle with their friends at the ballpark, you know, to kind of, you know, a lot of recruiting fun for me was besides getting to watch players that I was going to recruit was, you know, time on the road with your friends and you yeah. know catching up with people that you haven't seen and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's a very exciting thing. Very uh, happy to see it because I know there was a lot of talk that it was going to extend through the, that the dead period was going to extend through the, summer. through the summer. And so the fact that that is now being cleared up and we know for sure that June 1st is going to get uh, back on the regular calendar is a really exciting thing. So players doesn't mean that uh, video and streaming and clips and Don't all that stop. stuff are less less valuable. You still need to be doing all that stuff. But it also gives you a chance to get that coach's attention and hopefully get them to come out and watch you play in person. Good stuff right there. I love it. So, so other big NCAA news is that the uh, Division One regionals this year, they're going to change the mechanics of how they are determining those sites. In the past, when we had the big selection show, part of the fun of it was seeing who the top 16 seeds were, because the top 16 seeds to would then get to host. Yeah. Now, what they're doing this year, because they have to accommodate for corona testing and social distancing and, and a lot of different factors, is they're going to predetermine the 16 host sites. Now, the goal is to still do the best they can to choose... Predict the right ones. Predict the right teams, teams yeah. that would possibly or, or probably be in that top 16 group anyhow. And I think for the top 10 or 12, it won't be that challenging. You know, I think that there's been enough enough softball played now that I think we can safely say Oklahoma was going to get to host a regional. Sure. You know, I think that other schools that have, you know, Florida's probably going to be good enough to host a regional. Alabama's probably going to be good enough that they get to host. What
1: about our Ducks?
0: And Oregon. But let's talk about the West Coast here in a second. The goal of the committee, and I listened to a couple of different interviews this week, is to still do the best they can to try to identify the top 16 teams. And if possible, allow those schools to be the predetermined. If they posts. follow or if they're able
1: to follow the right. guidelines,
0: you know, they need to be able to accommodate all the different things. So the testing and all the stuff that has to go into the tournament this year. But of course, and we talked about it just a second ago, talking about recruiting the uh, local guidelines, the state guidelines, the different things that are mandated in different places could affect who gets selected. We talked about Oregon, UCLA, schools that uh, clearly are in the, on top of the heap and are teams that would normally and usually be for sure assumed to be hosts. Are the local regulations, will the local laws and, and guidelines that are in place in these places allow them to host is going to be one of the questions. Everything about this year has been unique. And different, you know, we've seen teams that have been shut down for weeks at a time because of uh, positive tests and contact tracing and all that stuff. And I'm just curious, and I'm hopeful that it will not impact the tournament too much. Looking at the different attitudes that uh, different parts of the country have about the testing and everything else right now, um, the mandates and things like that, is I think that could play a factor in who is determined. Let's just say, you know, for example, if UCLA is not picked as one of the hosts because of their yeah the only reason that they would not be one of the predetermined sites would be because of local regulations or right. guidelines that are saying that they can't because i think one of the things that they're hoping is to at least have some fans at these regional games and i was excited to see that uh Alabama now this weekend has increased their attendance from 20% to 50% you know i think other parts of the country are doing that uh, same kind of thing you know they're still limiting the number of people so you can still keep some distance and things like that but I think that's going to be part of the equation for them determining who gets to be the predetermined host. It will be interesting to see. Uh, they're supposed to announce the host about two weeks before the selection. But I think what could end up happening is you know, maybe a UCLA or Oregon or you know some other school that is in a spot that has tighter regulations could end up traveling someplace else to be a number one seed. Instead of getting to host as a number one seed,
1: it'll be interesting to see. Like you say, Tori, I think that's a great uh, a great thought, and it will be fun to find out which ones do and don't. And we'll know, like you said, if they're a higher seed and they're on the road, right? Then we'll know that that's what happened. Yeah. Right? And,
0: and that used to happen all the time. You know, not not that long ago, schools that were really good didn't have facilities that would allow them to host. You know, when Washington won their national championship back in like 2010 2011 I can't remember for sure but it was you know 10ish years ago they were on the road for the entire tournament because their facility didn't have lights. And one of the requirements to host a regional was to have lights so that sure. you can play whenever you if need you to if the weather's weather bad or whatever. Yeah. So that was one of those things. As soon as uh, they won the national championship and had to go on the road for like a month. Did they get lights? They got lights. Oh. And, and of course, uh, you know other upgrades who are now, you know, Washington's facilities are as good as anybody's in the country. But so, But it will be interesting because I think especially the West Coast, Washington, Oregon, UCLA maybe Arizona, Arizona State, you know, those are all places would clearly be in line to be host schools and based on their record and where they're at in the rankings and everything right now, I would think it would be a shock if they didn't end up being in the top 16 and for some of them in the top eight. So let's say UCLA might be the number one or number two seed in the whole tournament, but not get to play a regional or super regional at home because Los Angeles has restrictions that don't allow people to attend the games or whatever. So I think it's going to be interesting to see. Traveling um, and out, lodging, all those things. Right. And okay. so I think it's it's just going to be interesting to see. And uh, I'm excited that we're this far into the season and we're still playing softball. You know, when the school year started this year, I don't think anybody knew what to expect. Right. And now that uh, championships are being played and, and tournaments are being run, the basketball tournament all being done in one city, you know, the other sports that have done that. You know, softball now going to pre predetermined sites to make sure that they can have all the things in place that they need to do the regionals and super regionals. But at least we're playing. At least it's progressing. And I'll be curious to see when we get to the end, when we get to Oklahoma City, what exactly will be the guidelines and the regulations there, because you know they added that gigantic upper deck to increase seating. And so I think it's going to be one of those you know crazy good news, bad news. Thank God we're playing, but wouldn't it be amazing if it was back to normal percent capacity? Yeah. All right, so Don, that's going to take us into our cleanup topic. Our cleanup topic is really kind of a a collection of headlines that made me come to a simple conclusion. College softball right now is really, really good. There's some good ball, huh? It's really fun to watch. Now, of course, you know, they're not perfect. They're not, you know, they're not uh, flawless games, but the amount of high-level softball I'm seeing, the amount of high-level hitting the teams and players that are rising to all new heights, I think there's a lot of reasons why that's true. Partly I think it's a little bit of recency bias because we you know had last year the corona year, you know yanked out from under us so, so, so early yeah. in the year that not having softball for an extended period of time, you know sort of makes the you know distance makes the heart grow fonder kind of thing. Sure. The second part about it, though, is I think that because these players are so excited and so appreciative of the game now. Very passionate about their... They, yeah, absolutely. That that uh, intensity level, that passion has increased. There's no question that the uh, super seniors and the players getting a chance to come back for another year is drastically impra- impacting the level of play. And we're seeing a lot of these teams with those kids that have had that extra time and you're older, you're stronger and, yeah. and hungry to really go out on a, Show it. A, on a high note because of last year getting taken away from them. And so I think there, there's a lot of factors why it's so good, you know, and partly just because there's so many games on TV that you get to watch a lot. And what I find myself doing now with uh, the ESPN plus app is I'll see something on social media about a great game or a great play and I go and I f- I hunted out it. to find it you know that uh, crazy play that we talked about a couple of weeks ago with the Washington Arizona State walk off blown third base uh, blown uh, squeeze play that ended up uh, getting the winning run in uh, in that crazy manner as soon as I saw it on social media I couldn't wait to go back you know find the game and actually watch it in in the context of what was going on you would get to watch the Five or six minutes leading into it, so you could really feel the tension and, and how they got there and all that stuff. And so, and the you know, look
1: or confusion on faces, and yeah, yeah. And,
0: and and it just was, you know, and to just listen to it in a in a context of actually knowing that you're going to see something special. So, but here's a couple of things that have happened recently. You know, I thought really kind of you know caught my attention this last couple of weeks, and some things that are on the horizon for this next uh, week or ten days that I think are going to you know just add a whole nother layer to it. You know, in our Did You Know, we've been talking about records that will never be broken. Right. Well, here's one that's never going to be broken. Never, ever? Hope Troutwine from North Texas pitched a perfect game with 21 strikeouts. That is pretty awesome. It's an amazing thing. Now, it was against Arkansas Pine Bluff, so the game was 3 to nothing. So this is a good, competitive, hard-fought battle between two good teams. It was not the classic overmatch of... 21 to nothing. Right. It wasn't a a superstar pitcher pitching against a team that couldn't compete. It was a superstar pitcher pitching against a really good competitive team where she just raised her level to something that can be tied, but can never be broken. And now, just to kind of put it in context, you got to play that out. Yeah. In context, she had had a 21 strikeout game before, but in her other 21 strikeout game, she faced 29 hitters. There's been a couple of other pitchers that have had 21 strikeout games in the history of Division One, but never perfect games. So when you think about inning, it, right, and, and we were laughing about how you know, when kids are young, you, know, you might have a pitcher that gets five or six strikeouts in an inning because the catcher keeps dropping the third strike and the runner goes to first base, and so you got to strike the next one out. So, so, so therefore you, you could have more. Right. You could have eight strikeouts in an inning and give up two runs, right, if the catcher can't catch the third strike. Well, in this case, because it's a perfect game, it's 21 up, 21 down. Again, it could be tied. Somebody could do it again,
1: but so just think about that accomplishment. Nobody had to field any balls. Nobody could make any mistakes right. in the field, right? And, and, Except just, the catcher. But
0: just think about this. How about like in the second inning, there's like a foul ball pop-up that, that, <laughs> the the yeah, that the left fielder goes chasing after, lays out, does everything she possibly humanly can. To catch that pop up, Hit, you know, to to get hits the off out. the end of her glove, <laughs> and that play doesn't happen, right? Because if that play happens, strikeout. yeah, if yeah. that play happens, we're talking about a perfect game, but it's with twenty strikeouts. However, you want to you know picture any of those kind of crazy foul ball kinds of plays, you know, the the third baseman's you know diving into the dugout or diving into the stands to try to catch that pop foul, and they make that play, then this record can't be. Uh,
1: and, and I used to be a catcher too. We talk about it all the time, but. So you got 20 strikeouts in the last inning and the ball goes straight up, big foul ball behind home plate. Right. They, run, runs off the heel of your glove and
0: Yeah. Just think about it though. So so you know you're catching a perfect <laughs> perfect perfect game and that ball gets popped up behind the plate. Part do, of me is thinking, I'm trip? not even going to go after it. You got a trip or something? Yeah, I mean, like, you're going to you know, lose it in the sun. One even strike you know, away. Yeah, you know, whatever it is. But when you think about all the circumstances that could have changed this outcome. For sure. You know, for, for Hope Troutwine to be in this very, 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 very exclusive club. Which it, she will always be in. Yeah, she'll always be in it. And yeah. she'll always be the first person in it. Will somebody else ever get there? Well, if, every time we say it'll never happen, it could happen. The way she's going, she might do it again that's true uh, but the thing that was really cool about it that kind of you know, brings us all back to the softball is awesome thing is she was on like every sports talk show in the country she was getting you know talked about on uh, you know mainstream uh, news outlets she was getting talked about on talk shows uh, getting interviewed you know and, and really got a chance to enjoy the, the moment and be recognized yeah. Yeah. but it also was just really good for softball because it's good for When the MLB network or ESPN on the main sports center is interviewing a pitcher from North Texas about something she did, that's pretty good for softball in general. It's it's a pretty cool thing. A couple of the things that I watched last week that really uh, made me uh, appreciate how good softball is, I watched a little bit of the Arkansas-Alabama series. You know, Arkansas is the new team on the block and the SEC has really had an amazing year. Um, Alabama went to Arkansas and won two out of three, but three really hard-fought, competitive games. Coach Murphy was ejected in one game for arguing something, you know, to fight for, for his players yeah. uh, for those kinds of things. You, know, I think that it just adds another layer of excitement, another layer of fun. Uh, Minnesota, who you know, the Big Ten this year is in a really weird position because they're only playing Big Ten opponents; they're not playing any non-conference games. Minnesota went to Northwestern, who was in first place. And had a couple of games on national TV, and one swept the series, wow. and, and looked really, really good. Cool. Um, you know, looking at the uh, top twenty-five, you know, we've got the uh, OU juggernaut that's uh, you know got thirty-plus wins. You know, of the thirty wins that they've had, like twenty-five of them have been run rule Very playing solid. Texas this weekend. Well, Texas is a really good team; they're top ten-ish. And so we've got that to look forward to. We've got uh, Oregon and Washington, so two teams that are both at, a the, lot of clashes. at the very top of the Pac-12 playing each other and don't like each other. <laughs> um, we got Arizona, Arizona State, who are, again, two top 10, 12, 15 teams playing against each other who really don't like each other. The cherry on top of the Sunday this weekend is Florida and Alabama. You know, Florida travels to Alabama for a series. Big time. And, you know, And they all try to say they like each other, but let's well, just be the the game is the game yeah let's just be skeptical so you've got a three four two three you know top five matchup this is going to be another weekend where if people are fans of this game you know and obviously by the time the, the you know this podcast drops all these series will have been determined you know we'll we'll know the outcome if you want to really enjoy yourself start watching this these games when you can because it's an amazing thing and you, you and i've been around this game for a long time i've been coaching Fast pitch softball since its earliest days when one to nothing was the score of about ninety five percent of the games you played seeing something really exciting you know it it was hard to find and there was no coverage, there was no TV, there was no social media, there was no took way a little, to see took it. a little while to hear about some of these things right, right? and so yeah. now it's all right there for us. It's at our fingertips, and it's exciting stuff. So how good is college softball right now? I think it's the best it's ever been. I think this next couple of years it's going to continue to be really, really good. One because we've got so many really talented young players coming in, but we're gonna have another couple of years of kids getting that extra opportunity, that uh, chance to, you know, to play an extra year, which there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That extra year of time and training and passion and dedication and you know, honing your skills is gonna make for better players. And to your big point, Tori, is it's all more accessible to us, right? right. Easier yep. to get to. And, and just to kind of put things into perspective, you know, Oklahoma, you know, who, who's going to be in the spotlight this weekend with their series with Texas, is so good, they have a player who's going to be playing in the Olympics that's coming off the bench for them because she can't crack their top nine. That's, just think about that for a second. That's crazy stuff. And Nicole Mendez, who's been a huge part of their success, who's been a big part of them you know, being a top team for, for her entire career who's going to be playing in the Olympics, is like the first player off the bench this last couple of weeks because some of the other players that are on her team are just that good. Are that that really, really good. What's going to come down to the end, who knows? Right now, I think a smart person would bet Oklahoma and UCLA might just play each other in that championship series. But Florida, Alabama, Oregon, Florida State, they're gonna be knocked. Virginia Tech has been awesome. I've watched a, f- a bunch of their game, and and Coach Pete, who was over here at KSU for a while, um, is doing an amazing job at Virginia Tech. You know, the ACC's got you know Virginia Tech and Clemson. If you want to watch really good softball, watch Virginia Tech. They've got one of the best pitchers in the country in Keeley Richard, and they play the game the right way. Their defense is awesome, and they score runs when they need them. You know, we were talking about how amazing it was that Duke and Clemson are so good, so fast. Duke has played. Virginia Tech and Florida State and taken some losses this last couple of weeks, but they're
1: been for competitive
0: a, for a fourth year program. They're still a top team and Clemson, you know, definitely at the top of the ACC, the SEC, you know, top to bottom, you know, every week we've got big upsets, you know, a special shout out to a player that I've coached and worked with. Sarah Mosley has gotten two gigantic hits for Georgia here in the last couple of weeks. There are three gigantic hits for Georgia last couple of weeks. She hit a moonshot against Florida Help them win a game against Florida. She hit a line drive, screaming home run twice against uh, Kentucky to help them come back. You know, Kentucky's a top-10 team, and Georgia still goes to Kentucky. They're always tough here the last yeah, few years, and, and, for sure. And, and wins two out of three. Every time you get a chance to see some of this stuff, I think you really need to enjoy it. It's all over the TV. It's all over the computer. Watch it. Enjoy it. Just know you're watching something special. Awesome. I love it. All right, Don, so our coaching tip of the week, let's talk about slap defense. Slap defense. Yes. We're, yeah. We've all got to, we've all got to experience it, right? right? Well, and here's why I wanted to talk about it because this question was uh, brought to me by one of our listeners. His area and his part of the country idea now that everybody has adopted is sort of the inverted infield where the second baseman plays way, way up, like right next to the pitcher or even in some cases in front of the pitcher. And the first baseman plays back. And so the first baseman's going to always take the throws and then the second baseman plays the, you know, the high hoppers, the bunts, the drag bunts, and, and those kinds of things. I've seen that defense a lot. I'm not an advocate of it because I think that the risk of it outweighs the potential reward. Now, if you're playing against a team that you know well, and you really have scouted enough and, and you know enough about a hitter to know that that left-handed kid is really just going to slap and bunt and that they have no other tools in the toolbox, you know, that, that defense can be effective. I'm not a fan.
1: No, I agree with you, Tori, And like you said, if if we know that they're going to be bunting, a lot of times our first baseman may not be quite as mobile as a second base uh, position player. So to have them in there tight for the bunt to that first base side, a little easier angle and so forth from a throwing position, that might be effective. But I think your original point of That's not something we do very often, right? And it's so awkward and and strange that too many bad things can happen. A a high chopper over, you know, that player that's playing in, that's a huge a huge deal, right? Or the little blooper, the
0: the, like jam shot that uh, you know just kind of gets you just past the pitching circle that the second baseman would normally be coming in and catching easily now is this drop, step, and chase kind of thing.
1: So, yeah. and I, I mean, and as you said earlier, too, if you know your opponent that well, and also, too, if our pitcher is skilled enough to, you know, hit spots, we can kind of create where the ball should go. Right. And be able to defend it. But uh, there's always that slapper that's just that good and that that challenging. Or or that lucky too, (laughs) because it's a little bit of both. Right? Um, Here's so just to kind of put in
0: perspective I'm not a fan of the inverted infield. I'm not a fan of the second baseman being that close. Yeah. And the primary reason is that if that hitter is doing something besides slapping, if she's hitting or if she's power slapping, we're in a position where we've got somebody so close to the play and so close to the ball. That if the ball gets hit in their neighborhood, they're going to be very, very lucky to make a play. You know how many times we see the pitcher at—you know she starts at 43 feet, so she's probably about 35 feet away when she lets go of the ball. How many times we see pitchers getting drilled with line drives right back at them, getting you know hit with uh, balls—you know they come off the bat so fast. The idea of putting somebody else in, in that-, that position by choice. And now, of course, the pitching motion has you, you know, moving and at some disadvantages for fielding versus the second baseman True. who should j- just be you know, moving into a ready position and ready to handle the ball. The flip side of it is I think that that opens up so many gaps and so many holes and makes it so hard to field that harder hit ball that I'm not a fan of it. So for us, when we would play against teams that we knew either had slappers or we suspected had slappers, our defensive choice was really pretty simple. We would pull the middle infielders in, but more like they would be playing if it was a play at the plate. Sure. You know, the shortstop, you know, maybe just a little bit behind the baseline, and maybe even. in the baseline. Second baseman, maybe in the baseline, maybe a little bit in front of the baseline. Not so drastic that they're at a real disadvantage and, and in a position that they're going to be in quite often throughout the course of a regular season. You know, Our key would be our third baseman, with a left-handed hitter, our third baseman would read the hitter, would read the hands, and they would set the defense. And when we would talk about setting the defense, they would call what the hitter was doing. So they would have to be aware enough to watch the hitter's hands, watch the hitter's feet, and determine the difference between a bunt or a slap or a hit. And every time that left-handed hitter would get ready to do whatever she was going to do, the third baseman would make that call. So if they saw the hands come forward looking like a bunt and the feet started moving, they would call bunt. They saw the hands stay back and the feet start moving. The typical slap position, they would call slap. If the feet don't move at all, they're calling hit. And that call would tell everybody else in the infield what they're supposed to do. What they should be expecting. Right, and what their, what their uh, responsibilities are. So we could still have the first baseman charge the bunt and the second baseman cover first on the bunt, because the third baseman was in charge of letting everybody know
1: hey she's bunting and that doesn't relieve everybody else of trying to anticipate that too though, right. right yeah but but the but, but they the, have the best view yeah and and our rule hands. was simple yeah. whatever the third baseman
0: said that's what we played that's the rule yeah so if she says bunt the first baseman's going to charge if it ends up being a slap then we just got to pat the girl on the back and say hey nice job you really fooled us right if she says slap and she ends up drag bunting we get yeah. caught on our heels a little right. bit right then yeah. we we, we, we react again and... we have to make sure that we're you know giving them a little bit of credit for being good at something but i always liked that system because it put our defense in as close to the regular position as possible gave us the best coverage of the entire field as possible without turning the normal routine uh, balls that should be outs into something really challenging nightmare to me of all nightmares is when you bring the infield in you know, for a play at the plate or you bring them way in because it's a slapper Somebody and they hit that loose yeah. or they hit that lazy little fly ball that drops right at the edge of the dirt that now is a really hard play for our infielders because they've got to drop step and go back 30 or 40 or 50 feet to make the play. And again, depending upon the hitter, if we don't know that that hitter is going to slap or bunt, our outfielders can't
1: come way in 'Cause then that routine fly ball can get turned into a triple or an inside the park home run. Well, that's the excitement of it, Tori. And and again, if you know your your opponent or your batter, you know, that changes things a little bit, but pitching inside to pitching outside. Right. They might be really good at one or the other and we don't know yet. So that's the excitement. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and your point about if your pitching's
0: good and you can dictate a little bit where the ball should be hit, that definitely is a benefit. It's definitely a plus. But I think if you have the best of both worlds, if you have a pitcher that you know can you know, pound the outside part of the plate and get strikes called against a slapper, sure. then our third baseman and shortstop know they're going to be making most of the plays.
1: They got, um, they got action coming.
0: Right. And so it helps you set the defense. But you know, to me, the idea of the third baseman setting the defense, being in charge, and then everybody building their responsibilities off of that always worked really, really well. And so if it's a slap, our first baseman knows she's, she's going to take the throw at first base. Now she still waits until she sees the ball get played in case that slap comes right down the first baseline. But her challenge is as soon as the ball gets hit and it's not hit right to her, she's going to go right back to the bag and play first base.
1: And as you're describing this story, I'm I'm thinking of BP. And during BP, you could be right there with your third baseman and tell your, your lefties to you know, just ad lib it. Just do do their thing and and you can let them practice reading the hands and doing things like that, right? And
0: and they get good at it. Once they get good at it, then it really makes your your defense work well. And to me, it's just a much better option than putting that second baseman in a really dangerous position and expecting her to be able to defend herself and then also still make all those plays. And it saves us the embarrassment of that little blooper right where the second baseman should have been standing that now the slow first baseman who's back because we don't trust her to field the bunt. She can't run that far to catch it, and the shortstop's on the other side of the field, and there's no way she can get there to make that play either.
1: See, and as you're describing it, Tori, I'm I'm thinking of times when maybe we had a, a first baseman that wasn't as mobile, and we were in a situation where we knew that that batter was going to be bunting or slapping to maybe, you know, give them a little bit of a an advantage being close to first base to receive it because we knew it was going to happen. Right. So yeah, I, yeah, I think it's yeah. situational. And,
0: and again, if, you're, if your pitcher can pound the outside part of the zone, if she bunts, chances are your third baseman should be the one making the play should on that ball. So it's a it's a balancing act, just like everything else we talk about. It's always give and take, it's plus and minuses. It's the excitement. Um, yeah, yeah, but to me, the idea, uh, and to answer our listeners' question, to try to flesh it out, I never ever once in my entire coaching career have told the second baseman to stand 30 or 40 feet from the hitter and that's a long time ever when I die (laughs) I will still have never run that defense so does that mean I'm right or wrong it just means that's how strongly I believe in it and that's even in the college setting where you're playing against some teams that you know the hitters pretty well you know some of the schools that we played by the time we would get to the conference tournament we would have played them three times in the regular season Probably once or twice in the tournament, pages of charts, and and have uh, scoured the scouting reports of watched uh, them play yeah, other teams. You know, put yeah. together the spray charts where you know, you have all the different colored dots of all the places that they've hit the ball. You know, you have you know two or three hundred at bats worth of information in front of you, and even then, we never played that defense. Not moving her in, yeah. So for what it's worth, so but uh, thanks to yeah. our listener for that question and that suggestion. Um, as always, if you've got something you want Coach Don and I to talk about. Make sure you contact us at everything fastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. Either one of those email addresses will get to us and we would love to talk about stuff that you're interested in.
1: We'll have fun with it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And we're and we're very fortunate that uh, we uh, have gotten a lot of suggestions, a lot of things that have been really enjoyable and 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 allowed us some guidance. I gotta share a story with you, Don, and share share this with our listeners because I think you guys are gonna get a chuckle out of this. So it's a, cool, yeah. Uh, a little sidebar. You can stop listening if you don't want to laugh at Coach <laughs> Torrey and his stupidity, but Coach Torrey and his stupidity was working on some travel plans. Okay, Our 12-and-under team is playing in Panama City Beach here in a little bit. I'm just going to admit in public that I refuse to do this stay-to-play hotels and to pay three times the going rate for a room so that, You're so that the tournament so that tournament can make more money. Yep. And so I've, you know, I've got my app on my phone for booking.com which I use. I'm, I book enough hotels that I get a, a really good discount and I've always, you know, had good luck using it. So I go on uh, the other day to book a room for me and uh, my dog Spike in Panama City Beach. Well, for the two night stay, the cheapest thing on booking.com with all my discounts was like 500 bucks for two nights. Uh, which was still less than the hotel city. Yeah, yeah. Which was still less than the hotel that the tournament wanted us to use. So right. at least I had that going for me. Right. But I get this brilliant idea, pull up the map and I start looking around because there's, you know, other cities that aren't that far away. There's some smallish towns <laughs> that aren't that far away. And I'm looking and looking and looking. All of a sudden I get this idea. It's like, well, Panama city beach, Panama city. So I plug in Panama City and all of a sudden I get this list of hotels. Oh no, I know what's happening. <laughs> and I find like a, a Holiday Inn Express or something like that and it's like it you looks know, great. like 89.99 a night. Like Aw, awesome. I don't even have to look any further so I just, you know, fill out the thing, Done you deal. Know, click, you know, uh boom, here it is. It's all set. So, you know, a few minutes later I get the notification on my phone. <laughs> the email and all of a sudden I look and the very first thing I notice is the phone number is like What flight will you be coming in on? And then I noticed that I have a really good reservation that's really affordable at the Holiday Inn Express in Panama City, Panama. Well, thank God, because I do so much on Booking.com. I've got the free cancellation, so I was able to cancel it. But just for grins and giggles, I figured, well, let's just check this out. So I go to Google Maps, and I plug in the two addresses only how many miles from ballpark to my hotel where i had a reservation was a 71 hour drive right <laughs> a few thousand miles <laughs> and that wasn't including getting over the border or the you know three or four other countries that i would have to cross their borders right um just so make sure panama city yeah, next time you're trying to book a a, a stay in panama city Make sure that you're smarter smarter than me. That there's a Florida there. Yeah, that that you see Florida or USA or something like that. But so, with the hotels, yeah. Yeah. So fortunately I was able to fix it and I found a place that you know in a town you know, about a twenty five mile drive from the ballpark for a whole lot less than the hotel on the beach. Because when I go to a tournament, I don't need a beach. I don't need the pool. I don't need any of that stuff because I'm not well, going there for any of that stuff. if you're playing
1: well, then you're going to be at the ballpark, right? Right, yeah. yeah.
0: The, the hotel for me is just a place to sleep. It's nothing more. Yeah. So so that was Tori's Panama City nice. story. More to, f- more to follow. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sure if we start talking about stupid stuff we've done, we'll be able to top that. <laughs> so that's going to wrap up episode number 160. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, make sure you check out our sponsors, AndersonBat.com, 20% discount, go to EFP20, Elite Sporting Goods, if you need to order anything at all, make sure you check out patreon.com slash everything everythingfastpitch, and as always, check out fastpitchprep.com, you can order the Square Cuts training discs there, $49.95 a dozen, we'll get them shipped out to you right away, and tons and tons of other information, our YouTube channel, the blogs, as Don mentioned earlier today, um, over 600 blogs and some of them are pretty darn good nice so don anything else no again Tori, looking forward to a great week so for coach don mckinley and our producer stan lewis this is coach Tori saying thanks for listening to episode 160 and we'll talk to you again next week